0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we observe All Saints Day, and this is a day that was observed in the early church. Uh, In fact, we see evidence of this day being observed, uh, the annual commemoration of the saints in the church as early as 150 AD. This means that this uh, service has been observed by Christians for around 1800 years, almost uh, two millennia. And at the time of the Reformation, the 1500s, uh, many Protestants did away with the entire service, the entire thing, because the Roman Catholic Church had introduced unbiblical teachings when it came to the saints. Uh, they taught that the saints were a special class of Christians, uh, that they had more grace than the common person, like a common Christian, and they also instructed people to pray to the saints, and it, that the saints would intercede for them, to ask for their help. But we know that that is idolatry. So the Lutherans didn't get rid of the service, but we kept it and we reformed it. And we got rid of the man-made ideas regarding the saints. And then we spoke of this day of the saints according to the scriptures as the Bible speaks of them. And that's what we're going to do today. But before getting into the first reading uh, that it was from Revelation chapter 7, uh, which is the basis of the uh, sermon today, I want to clear something Up First, about the word saint. That saint simply means holy one. Uh, The Bible calls Christians saints. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, To the saints who are in Ephesus uh, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Romans 12 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And this is because Christians are holy people. And the reason they're holy. The reason for this is not because they always do holy things or because they feel holy. In fact, the way you feel right now is irrelevant to today. It is irrelevant when it comes to your holiness. Your feelings and your works and your sin have nothing to do with how holy you are before God. You are holy because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He has made your body his temple. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You were washed and you were sanctified. That's the same word as saint. And you were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is why you're holy. Not because of what you've done. Not because of how you feel. But because of what Jesus has done for you. That is why you're called a saint today. Now, even more, God refers to all of his people as saints, whether living or dead. Matthew 27. Remember, at the resurrection or at the death of Jesus, uh, the scriptures say the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. The word refers to those who live and those who have died. And in fact, that is actually the point. We, us we make distinctions between the living and the dead. But God doesn't. He doesn't see that. He doesn't see it that way. Because all Christians live to Him. Whether they have breath in their lungs or not. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will, what? Never die. So, So the thing is, it's not that there are two churches or two groups of Christians, some living and some dead. From our point of view, that's what it looks like. But Scripture says there is only one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So the saints, whether living or dead, are united in one church. Uh, And they're not holy. They're not only holy, but they also live. Okay, I want to clarify those things before moving on to the text. Uh, Today, we learned that God chose to give St. John a vision of heaven to show him what is happening in real time as the day is happening. And as if he simply lifted the veil and as if John could see heaven in that moment. And that's what Revelation 7 is about. God chose to show this to John. Not just to, for some feat, not just to show off something or say, this is really neat. You've got to see this. He chose to show it to him to encourage him because John was in the midst of persecution. And he showed this vision to him to strengthen him in the fight. And God caused John to not only see it, but to write it down faithfully so that you and I would hear it today. So that we would be encouraged in the midst of our fight. In the midst of this life, in the midst of all disappointment and struggles, even in the midst of death. That is what those words are for. So this is what it is. I I've preached on Revelation 7 before and I could do it a thousand times again and never, ever get to the bottom of the comfort uh, and exhaust the comfort that is in that text. You can read it over and over your whole life and it, it will always surprise you. But for today, I'm just going to focus on, on five things in this text. The first thing is this, and it may seem pretty obvious, but the saints in heaven are united. Uh, Verse 9 says this, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John notes their diversity. He sees that they're from every part of the world, speaking every single tongue, all different backgrounds and nationalities. And then he notes this, that they're all united, standing together before the throne of God. They're not divided over the things that previously divided them. And that is so different from life today. Because in this life, we are divided over so much. We cannot agree on politics or policies we're divided over schools and teaching and thoughts over jobs and careers families are divided over different views of things over the government over the culture over the life in general families blood we see families and members of even churches divided with one another over things to the point that many times we're uncomfortable even to be around each other here in this life. We who commune at the same, that eat the same body and drink the same blood of Christ, and yet we're uncomfortable to be around each other. Now, <clears throat> I'm not saying that we shouldn't take sides in certain issues. In fact, we have to. We, we have to take certain positions. And for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of our church, and for the sake of the country, we need to take certain positions on things and stand firm But oftentimes, those positions we take uh, divide us from our neighbor. We're ostracized and cut off because of where we stand and what we assert. And whatever the reason for the division, these divisions are painful to us. And they're sad and they're heartbreaking. And you could list many divisions in your own life that you can just have at the top of your mind. I know there are some minor divisions here among us in the congregation and the church and we may disagree with each other on certain things. But overall, God has blessed Zion with a great unity for the time being, more so now than in years past. There's a great unity, there's an excitement and there's a zeal for the word of God, which is amazing. Um, But even this unity is only a pale comparison to the unity that the saints have in heaven they sing together with unhindered unity without division without bad blood without grudges without bad memories without suspicion of one another they don't have to convince anyone of anything they don't have to uh, they don't have to argue They don't have to sit down and set boundaries with one another or wonder how people are voting or what they think or what they're going to do or what we're going to do for Thanksgiving and Christmas or whatever it might be. They don't have to work through past experiences or labor to repair a relationship or carry the pain of a division or separation. There in heaven, there are no more sides. There are no more enemies or opponents or persecution or fighting or grudges or bitterness. For the saints in heaven, all of those things are past. All of them. Within the marriage, within the family, within the church, within the people, within between nations, it is over. And the saints are united at last. Um, And I, for one, long for that day. And I know you do too. Uh, The second thing is this. Not only are the saints together, but they're happy. And we know it because they're singing. That's what Revelation says. And they're singing loudly. (laughs) And so you you know what I'm gonna say. I think you've been here long enough and you've heard me long enough. You know what I'm gonna say. If you're gonna sing loudly then, then what? Just sing loudly now. (laughs) Just start doing it now if you know that day is coming. I don't, I don't care if you have a nice voice. Nobody cares if you have a nice voice or if you can hit every note, whatever it is. The, the idea that you should only sing loud if you sing well or that if you shouldn't sing, if you can't sing well or you should sing quietly to yourself, that idea needs to die. It needs to die and, and be buried in the ground. It is wrong. It is the wrong idea. Honestly, hearing somebody sing off-key Loudly from their heart is so beautiful. It's the best thing Uh, because it shows that they're not singing because of technique. They're not singing because they're good at it. They're not singing because they were trained properly. They are singing from the heart. Uh, At my house, every uh, night we'll do devotions before bed. And then uh, after a few uh, uh, lessons and uh, prayers, then we'll sing. Um, And we sing a hymn together, and Martin, my son who's three, will sing the hymn with us. And he is completely (laughs) off-key. He barely gets the melody right. He can't even pronounce 90% of the words uh, that we're singing. And yet, that is the most beautiful sound. He's my favorite singer in the world. That's the most beautiful sound in the world because he is my son, and he's singing from the heart, and I love him, right? God does not care how you sound, He cares about the words that you are singing. He cares that you sing with faith in your heart. So we don't sing in church just to pass the time because it would be boring if we didn't sing. Or we sing because we have to. We're singing not even for each other. It's not even a performance. We're singing to God. His ears are open to hear our voices. And he loves it. He is your dear father. You are his children. And God loves to hear you sing. So do it loudly. Loudly, the saints in heaven sing with all of their might so we on earth are to do the same. The third thing, um, the saints in heaven uh, all sing the same hymn. They're singing the same words. They're not divided even in that in their song. And they're singing this. They're saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They give all of the credit All of the glory, all of the honor to Jesus for their salvation. Uh, Nowadays, we see this false teaching called synergism or decision theology. And you'll find this, uh, it's very widespread and popular. And you'll hear that, uh, it's, that you have to contribute something to your salvation, whether it's 50% or 1% or something. There's something you have to contribute for what you do. You have to play a part or a role in your own salvation, and you have to add to it or complete it. And, and, and you'll find that this false teaching uh, that is widespread here on earth. But that is not what is taught in heaven. They don't talk that way in heaven. <laughs> the saints on earth, sorry, the saints in heaven all finally learn the truth, and that is that Jesus did all of the work. That salvation doesn't belong partly to God or mostly to God. They simply say, salvation belongs to God. All of it, it is the Lord's doing. And he saves us, he rescues us, he redeems us. It is entirely his work. And since it is all his work, he gets all of the glory. God alone gets this. Now, um, we take no credit whatsoever in our conversion or our salvation. I, I, want, I want to cement this down into your hearts and your mind. So just imagine this. Uh, imagine that you die and you're standing before the gates of heaven. And there God himself asks you, he says... Uh, why, why should I let you in here? Why should I let you into my kingdom, into heaven? And you know how most people would answer that. They, they would, most of us know the, the, that it's wrong and damning to say something like, Well, I'm a good person. I've worked my way in. That's wrong. We know that. But you would be surprised that the number of times I've heard Christians who reject that and say we're saved by grace through faith alone... Uh, Then go on to say something about their faith as if faith is a work or faith is something that would merit the mercy of God. Um, So I've heard so many Christians answer this question by saying, look, why should God let me into heaven? Well, it's because I believed or I went to church or I sang hymns or I trusted in you. And this is just as bad as saying works will save. Uh, The focus is on I and me. But you, Zion, what should you say? What would you say? If God asks you, why should I let you in here? Why should you be in heaven? You should reply and say, well, I shouldn't be. But your dear son gave his life for me. And he redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature. And he purchased and won me from all of my sins, from death and from the power of the devil. And he did all of this, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood and with his innocent, bitter suffering and death. That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. That is your answer. And you say that firmly without wavering, with confidence. Um, Fourth, uh, the fourth thing is this. The saints in heaven are gathered around Jesus. Verse 17 says, for the lamb is in their midst. He's in the middle of them, in the midst of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. So it's not like heaven, I want you to remember this, it's not like heaven is bare and empty, as if there's nothing else to do but that. That, that it's just one big blank space or big room and just Jesus is there and that's all we have to do. But look at what they're choosing to do, what they want to do. They are gathered around Jesus. There's many things to do in heaven. There's a great joy in heaven. But what they want to do is they are around Jesus day and night. And just like we're gathered around him even right now. That is why we woke up and dressed, got dressed this morning and drove to church. It is because of Jesus. We're here because of him. If you, if you have children, don't tell them to find Jesus in their hearts or their mind or their feelings. You tell them, if you want to find Jesus, you get up, you go to church. You find the word of God. You find his body and his blood. That's where he is for you. And that's where Jesus is. And that's why you tell them we go to church. We're going to where Jesus is. We want to be around him. Not only in this life, but the next. And he, the thing is, he is the thing we're after. Keep this in mind. We don't worship Jesus to get things from Jesus. Uh, We're not worshiping Jesus as if he's a means to an end. As if he's the way we get heaven. Or as if he's the way we see our loved ones again. We worship Jesus because we want Jesus. He's, He's not just a means to an end. He is the end. He's the goal of it. He's the goal of the Christian life. And that means we don't worship Jesus so we can avoid hell. We don't worship Jesus so we can see our loved ones who died in the faith again. This is all true. But we worship Jesus because we love him more than anything else he has ever given to us. Psalm 73 says this. The psalmist says, What good have I in heaven but you, Lord? Lord. And on earth I desire no one besides you. Uh, That beautiful hymn, it's, it's my favorite hymn. Hymn 708, Lord thee I love with all my heart, has these gorgeous words. It says, Lord thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee never from me depart. With tender mercy cheer me. Earth has no pleasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare. If thou, Lord, were not near me. In other words, heaven without Jesus is empty. That is how the Christian considers heaven. If I go to Jesus if I go to heaven and Jesus is not there, it is empty and void for me. Uh, in, in, in fact, it goes so far as that Luther himself said, "I would rather go to hell with Jesus than to heaven without him." <laughs> uh, and that is the point. Our joy is complete in that final day. The point is this, the saints see Jesus and they gather around him and their joy is complete. Now, finally, this is the fifth and last point and it's verse 17, which says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, There's not much I have to say here except that every means every. God will wipe away every tear from your eye that you've ever shed. Isaiah 35 says, The redeemed of the Lord will return and enter Zion with singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Isaiah 65 says, The sounds of weeping and crying will be heard no more. It's not that God is going to distract you from your pain, or that he's going to just kind of change, focus your attention on something else. Um, This... What he's promising to do is to take away your pain and sorrow, to undo it. Uh, This means that there's not a tear that you have shed over your work, over your marriage, over your family, over your home, over your children, over your illness, your disease, your loneliness, your pain and death. There is not one tear that you have shed in this life that the Lord does not know about, And that the Lord has not not determined to wipe away. No matter how meaningless and senseless and needless the pain you're going through seems. Not one tear that rolls off of your cheek will not be wiped away from the Lord. And he will not send an angel or a pastor or a prophet or an apostle to do this. He himself will do it with his nail pierced hands and give you joy unending. Now, I want to close with this. uh, And this is a very bittersweet day because um, we are very happy for the saints. We're happy for salvation. And at the same time, uh, we're sad. And we miss them. We miss our loved ones. Uh, You all have loved ones who have died, whom you miss dearly. And I know this, you have fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters or sons or daughters, uh, family members, loved ones and friends who have died while trusting in Jesus Uh, and you miss them. But everything you just heard right now is what they're doing right now. (laughs) That's how they're doing, they're doing well. And they live. And they're all together. Uh, Isri, Everett, and Chuck are dear brothers who died this year. They're together. And your loved ones who died trusting in Jesus, they are together. And they're united and they are singing at the top of their lungs praises to Jesus who meant more to them than this life itself. And Jesus has wiped away all their tears They have more peace and joy than you can ever think or imagine. And all of this is true for them right now. And soon, it will be true for you. So don't be discouraged and don't grow weary in this life, no matter how difficult or frustrating or sad it may seem. You lift up your head and you be of good cheer. The same Jesus who saved them soon will save you from this veil of tears. And he has forgiven all of your sins, and he will give you the reward for his work on the cross, which is life everlasting. So may blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and might and glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh,